0: I speak to you this day in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What is the name of the feast that the church celebrates today? You're probably inclined to say Epiphany, but actually, but actually Epiphany was the feast that we celebrated yesterday, and it makes this Sunday the first Sunday after the Epiphany. But underneath the first page of your bulletin, there's another title for the feast. And that says, the baptism of our Lord, baptism of Jesus. And it has always been mind-boggling to many um, to ask, why is Jesus' baptism so important for us that we have a special feast to commemorate it? especially on a Sunday. The, pe- the feast of Christ's baptism is like many other f- feast days in the life of the church. People see the designation, scroll across the cover page of their leaflets. They form a mental picture of the corresponding scene of our Lord's life being baptized. But as they leave church, they probably forget about the whole blessed thing. But it has been said that one man's feast is another man's famine. And I fear that today in the church, we have a famine of understanding as to the real reasons behind the feasts of the church. And feasts of the church are not about just colors of the church, as some brain-dead Anglo-Catholics seem to think. The feasts of the church remind us annually the important events and ideas in salvation history. The feasts for us are like liturgical reminders that help us not to forget to remember what's important. So let's talk a few minutes about the feast of the baptism of Jesus. Why is Jesus' baptism such a big deal? Most of us in this room have been baptized, and we don't get a feast. Isn't baptism simply about joining a community of believers? So Jesus' baptism was just his initiation into the religion of the month club? Or was Jesus' baptism a chance for him to meet his crazy cousin, John the Baptist? And some say he wouldn't get a real job. And he moved out of the wilderness to find himself. He was an old-fashioned hippie, wearing retro clothes and eating honey-glazed bugs and utterly disappointing his Jewish mother. Was Jesus' baptism simply an occasion for God to acknowledge that he is his father? Jesus' baptism was none of these things. It was the point at which the paradox of who the Lord is was and what He came to do first converged into time and space. It was the beginning, official beginning of His ministry. At that moment and in that place, God reveals for the first time in concrete terms the mechanism by which humanity's salvation would be wrought. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, would save sinful humanity by totally identifying himself with them so that he could offer himself as a substitute for them. Let's see how this works. Holy Scripture tells us that humanity is dead in their trespasses and sins. Trust me, I don't like to hear about it either, and most people don't like to hear it deep down. But we know there is something to this. People can do and behave in utterly irrational and selfish ways. And people who do that can also be oblivious to the fact. If there is nothing wrong with you and me, why can't why can our perspectives about observable facts be so different from each other at times? If there is nothing wrong with us, why are we more than willing to allow others to suffer in order to get what we want? Finally, if there is nothing wrong with you you and me, how is it that we can be completely unaware when we are driving other people nuts? My husband reminds me of this. Have you ever known a psychic vampire, for example, who walks right up to you into your personal space and monopolizes your attention, while others are waiting to talk to you, stick around in diocesan events, and you will certainly meet one or five. That's a good example of somebody who is completely unaware that they're driving other people nuts. Well, why do we say this? We say it because simply to convince us this morning that we are all sinners. The fact that we are sinners doesn't make us all little devils, but it clues us to the reason that we need salvation. Sin isn't about law-breaking. That's the only outcome. Sin is our messed-upness that blinds us to true reality, the reality of God, of the world around us, and even of ourselves. Sin is the brokenness that makes the wrong look right and the right look wrong. The exceeding sinfulness of sin, however, is that it is something that alienates us from God. And that is the real problem. Not punishment, not condemnation, so on and so forth. But it cuts us. It it disables our relationship in a way it's hindered. So let's not think about sin solely in terms of crime and punishment. That is one of the biblical metaphors. And what I love to think about sin as a perspectival problem that deludes us in the running away from God rather than toward God. And I have a wonderful uh, illustration that I just lived through it in the last five days. My brother in law, Perry suffers from schizophrenia. Unmedicated, he sees, hears, and responds to things that are not really there. And I just spent four days with him, unmedicated, within the same house. And believe you me, I can tell you stories. When we try to tell Perry, his reality is not real He becomes angry, violent, and paranoid. So I'm not going to go up to him and say, Dude, what you see is not there. You would too be surprised like Perry if someone told you the person sitting next to you wasn't there. And I think that is a wonderful um, example of what sin does. It creates a spiritual lens of seeing things that are not there or not seeing things that are there. It causes us to see as beneficial things ultimately harmful to others, to ourselves, and to our relationship with God. Sin causes us to do things that separate us from God and keeps us from realizing it. In Romans 6, Paul writes, the wages of sin is death, but we are not here to be caught up in punishment and crime. What Paul is saying is utterly logical. If sin causes us to separate ourselves from God, it also keeps us from realizing that we are doing it. And left to our own devices, our separation from the Lord will increase and increase until the ultimate separation of God results. Spiritual death in the Pauline sense is merely the final outcome of the pathology of sin sickness. Once we can admit that that is a universal human condition, as well as the vicious cycle from which we are powerless to deliver ourselves, we are in a place to consider the significance of today's feast, Jesus' baptism. Mark tells us that John the Baptist proclaimed the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Holy Scripture everywhere teaches that our Lord Jesus was sinless, right? And in the words of Paul, he knew no sin. So why would a sinless person submit himself to a religious rite that identifies him as a sinner? And that is the question upon which logic of salvation rests. In Jesus' baptism, Christ identified himself with sinners so that he could become our Savior Jesus the one who according to Paul does not know any sin puts himself forth to be baptized so that he could be counted as one of us why is this important Matthew's version of the gospel story we also read in year a helps us understand John the Baptist first refuses to baptize Jesus in that story. Why? Because only sinners need baptism, and John knew that Jesus was free from sin. But Jesus' response to John's refusal is remarkable. He tells him he must be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is already righteous. He doesn't have anything more to prove with regards to his righteousness. And what Jesus means here is that he freely is willing to take to himself the label sinner. And this fact becomes important later. Because Jesus offers himself to suffer the consequences of humanity. In the place of his brothers and sisters, you and for me. Only reason Jesus can righteously take upon himself the wages of sin is because he has freely chosen to identify himself as a sinner. In short, Jesus' baptism is the outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual grace that makes it possible for him to be our Savior. Christ's baptism was the sacrament of his identification with us, our baptism. And likewise, in that rite that when we were baptized, we were identified with Christ. It is in baptism that Charles Wesley puts it, Jesus and all in him is mine. The Father's words spoken to Jesus as he came up out of the Jordan River Become, in our baptism, God's words to us. You are my beloved child. In you I am well pleased. It only remains for us, and this is the hardest part, to believe these words every day and live into their reality. Do you believe them? Do we believe them really? Because if we do, we would be able to let go of our shame. We would be able to let go of our guilt. and We would be able to recover from the condition of utter desperation. And if we, we do believe, we will be able to stop struggling. To become what we are not. And we will be set to be free. To be who God says we are. In Christ, his beloved, his child, and his pleasure. In Jesus' baptism, God makes you and me his beloved child. And in that relationship, we are eternally loved. Amen.